It's the Wheeler Walker Jr. Podcast. It's the Wheeler Walker Jr. Podcast. Everybody else sucks, man. I am the best. It's the Wheeler Walker Jr. Podcast. Hey, it's Wheeler Walker Jr. Pussy King, the pop country killing machine. Big week for me. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, it was a big week because your new album came out. No, that's that wasn't the big story of the week. The big story of the week was I was in Nashville playing the record release show, and a day before I met up with a buddy of mine to grab some food, and I looked in my fucking boxers. My dick, the tip of my dick was sticking to my boxers. I went to the bathroom at this restaurant to take a look at it, and I'd fucking like I jizzed in my fucking boxers, man. I didn't know what the, I fucking flipped out. I was just I guess I was just getting out of the car and a little bit of fucking like pre jizz came out. Oh shit, fucking text just went off. I don't know how to turn it off. Anyway, um so that's kind of the major story of the week. And then I freaked out and I called a buddy of mine who's a doctor and he said it was I'm taking this allergy medication because my allergies been really bad. He said it was probably the allergy medication. I'm like that's some fucking allergy medication, man. Just makes you fucking jizz everywhere. That shit ain't cool. Um, but my new album did come out. Um, my big fat dumb manager, uh, Alfred hasn't called me yet with the chart position, but my guess is it's going to chart pretty, pretty good, pretty high. I'll tell you who we did beat. We beat this fucking song right here. Yo, 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 yo. Wow, 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 Sounds like Aerosmith. Like the shitty later Aerosmith. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. Hundred in the shade with the sun beating down. Well, I can't fix that, but yeah. I can fix a drink. He can't fix a fix a drink. News and CNN. Damn thing all over again. The song's so shitty that I'm kind of, kind of, almost kind of digging it now. It's so fucking bad. I can't fix a jizz in my pants, but I can fix you a drink. I don't even know if I can fix you a drink. Just open up a Coors Light or something. Anyway, this week on the podcast, a very special guest, an artist I love, unlike that dog shit I was just playing, uh, Brandy Clark. Um, I was in Vegas a little while ago for the ACM Awards. I was playing a party. I wasn't at the fucking show. They didn't nominate me for shit, of course, because, you know... They wouldn't want any real fucking country up there. But they did nominate someone who's really fucking good, and that's Brandy Clark. So she was there. She stopped by my hotel room, which is very kind of her. Um, and she, uh, the first in-person interview I've done. And she's really fun to hang out with. And she's someone who's just kind of doing everything the right way. Writes great songs and makes great records. And uh, if you don't haven't heard her, you know, check her out. She's, she's fucking awesome. And uh, I was actually, when I was in Nashville before you know for the release show um went to the city winery and saw her play charlie warsham opened up it was a really great show and my buddy vanessa who used to play with me um she was playing with brandy sounding good as always it was a great show and i brought a lady friend and took her backstage and uh got me some fucking nookie for it so thank you brandy for that um uh, we'll do uh, one special little gift here for all y'all, which is um, in the interview I talk about a duet that I was going to sing with Brandy on my new record. We ended up not recording it. 
But uh, I thought I'd play you the demo for it. It was called I Wonder Who She's Fucking Tonight. Uh, uh, God damn, that fucking bleep. Anyway, um, this is a song that um, I wrote and recorded, and it's just a demo unreleased. I thought I'd give it to you as a special bonus for the enjoying the Wheeler Walker Jr. podcast. In the first episode, I'm not telling you guys to buy my new record. I'm over it. This is a song unreleased called I Wonder Who She's Fucking Tonight. I wonder who she's fucking tonight. And when that fucking is treating her right. Friends tell me she out. And I should move on. But I wonder if she's fucking tonight. sure they ever did write them like that but uh it's a good song i don't know why i didn't record it for the record but um we didn't maybe i'll do it for the next record um i'll just do uh maybe i'll add a little more beats to it you know i can't fix that she's fucking somebody else but i can fix you a drink turn on fox news and cnn same damn thing all over again <sighs> predators lost um Country music lost. Everyone's kind of fucking losing. Um, I didn't have the number one record. 
just a week of losing. You know, what are you going to do? That's where the good country songs come from, I guess. Anyway, this is my interview with a, a woman I love a lot, uh, Brandy Clark. Enjoy it. It's the Wheeler Walker Jr. Podcast. It's the Wheeler Walker Jr. Podcast. Everybody else sucks, man. I am the best. It's the Wheeler Walker Jr. Podcast. Hey, it's Weirdo Walker Jr. here in a hotel room in Vegas with my friend and one of my favorite artists, Brandy Clark. Brandy, say hi so we can check the levels. Hey, how are you, Wheeler? Um, I had a rough night, but I'm good. I saw you play. You were great. Um, then I kept the drinking going on a little bit uh, too much. So how did, when did your night end? Or has it, has it not yet? No, my night ended about, um, I would say... One o'clock, which is, oh, you know, not bad. Probably early. It's probably early night for Wheeler Walker Jr., I would think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, um, so I do, I'm going to ask questions I really do have. I, I am, well, first of all, I'll let people know that uh, there was a, we had a second there where you were going to possibly sing on my record. Yes. And it didn't work out for many reasons, one of which was the song you were going to sing on, we didn't record. Yes. I would say that would be the main reason. Yes, it's hard to sing on a song that yes, we don't record. I was ready to do it, and then Dave Cobb pulled the rug out from under me. Yeah, that motherfucker. <laughs> um, yeah, he fucks everything up. So you had the the. Here's my the thing I'm interested in the. Was whole well, you're you're from a small town, right? I am. Yes. Where? Morton, Washington, which is I always tell people it's it's halfway between Seattle and Portland, about thirty five miles off of I five. But could you get to Seattle and Portland as a kid? Yes. And you I go did. go see shows and stuff? Yes. My parents, I mean, my parents did a good job of exposing us to culture uh, of all right, cool. Let me get a little bit closer. Um, my first concert was Ronnie Millsap at the Puyallup Fair. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. Mine was Genesis. Was it really? Yeah. At Rupp, at? at Rupp Arena in Lexington, my parents brought me. Nice. And the dude in front of us was smoking too much weed, and they made us leave. Nice. Nice. Um... So that's a decent amount of country stuff up there. That was two of our best shows, I think. Portland and Seattle, they love that stuff up there. They do, and and I think it's because you know it's not we don't up in the Northwest we don't get country music the way Kentucky probably did. Yeah, and so it's really appreciated when it comes around. And I saw a lot of great great country acts there. I, uh, like I said, Ronnie Millsap at the Puyallup Fair. I saw Alan Jackson at the Tacoma Dome. Vince Gill and Patty Loveless also at the Tacoma Dome. Oh, wow. Pam Tillis a couple times. Um, I'm trying to think of But you weren't around. I mean, you didn't, like, go much to Nashville then. Not until... I saw Tim McGraw, too. Tim McGraw and Martina McBride at the Puyallup Fair. Um, uh, no. Okay, we just stopped it and started it again. Who else did you see? I'm oh, sorry I interrupted. I saw... Um, I saw Pam Tillis several times. Tim McGraw and... Um, Martina McBride. I saw them right before the Wild Angels record and the All I Want record came out. I saw Winona, um, and then I'm you know I moved to Nashville, not right out of high school, but a couple years later, two three years out of high school. So, how did you how did you decide that's what you wanted to do? Well, always always loved country music from a young age, and I started playing guitar at about nine, and. Um, when I got out of high school, though, um, music really took me over. I'm sure you understand that. Just the bug bit me really hard, and my parents and in, in, uh, my parents encouraged me to move to Nashville. And I oh, think wow. it was because they didn't want to see me 
work a job I didn't really love to just kind of work. See, those are cool parents. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Very cool It's all, I mean, that's life, isn't it? It's like, because I remember that in high school, I was just like, I don't know if you had the same thing, but it was like um, in elementary school, there's like, you know, this sucks, but once you get to grade school, it'll be better. Then it's like, this sucks, but high school will be better, and then it's like college will be better, and then it's all, everything's just the same. It's all the same shit. Yeah. It's like, why am I going to keep doing this to get some shitty job I don't want? Right. It drove me crazy. Um, I remember a Bruce Springsteen interview I saw where he said that was like the main um, motivation in his life was work, was that his mom had a really good job she loved, and his dad had a job he hated. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's what was basically made him who he was. He, he saw, like, what life was like for someone who enjoyed their work and mm-hmm. so what life was like for someone who didn't enjoy their work. So it's such an important thing. But, I mean, you got to just bust your ass, like, you know, like you did go out there that early. But it was was the goal being an artist or was it songwriting? At first it was being an artist. And, and so I moved there and, 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 I, and I started, I was writing songs when I moved to Nashville. Um and I, I dove into things like the NSAI, National Songwriters Association International, um, for those of you that, that don't know what that is. Including me. And uh, they helped me learn how to, how, you know, they started to help me connect me in the songwriting world. And, um, but what I noticed was a lot of my friends that I was meeting in Nashville that were getting record deals and were viewed as, or even not getting record deals, but somebody viewed them as an artist, their focus wasn't really on writing songs. Their focus was on the aesthetics of it, you know, getting their hair done. They'd, 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 cl- they'd cancel a writing appointment to go get a spray tan, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That wasn't me. I was pretty diligent about writing songs. And so I started to think, well, maybe I'm not an artist. You know, maybe I'm a songwriter. I mean, isn't it crazy? It's crazy to me for people to put out an album of songs that aren't theirs. I don't know what they're, you know, I, I, a lot of the artists I love, Waylon and stuff, didn't write a lot of songs, but it's like, it's still weird for me, to, the idea of putting out an album of songs you didn't write. It's like the whole point to me is having something to say. So I never really understood that. I guess that's yes. really what Nashville's all about is finding great songs to sing. It's, you know, I'm always impressed when I meet kind of younger artists and the first thing they say to me is like, we should write a song together. Right. At least they're thinking about songs, you know. Yeah, and you know, as a as a writer, I always loved those artists that didn't write songs because it was, it was, you know. Because it was an opening, yeah. Yeah, and some of my favorite artists that have come out of Nashville, um, didn't write songs. People like Patty Loveless, you know, she wasn't a songwriter, but Trisha Yearwood, you know, just great song interpreters. Um, and then George Strait, you know, he he never he didn't write a lot of songs, and and I've always loved his. Loved totally, yeah. I mean, again, my favorite's Waylon, and he only wrote a few songs, I think. See, I didn't realize that. Until yeah, you no, said yeah. That. Well, I, my favorite record is Honky Tonk Heroes, and that's just an album of Billy Joe Shaver songs. Wow, um, it used to be great how. Artists would do that. Like I, I didn't. I, I had the the good fortune of my first publishing deal. We were in the upstairs of Harlan Howard songs, and Harlan was he had just passed away, so he wasn't around. But everything else was, and and there were there were records where like Buck Owens sings Harlan Howard, or yeah, they used to do the yeah. And I always thought that was very cool. And I don't know for sure if it was Buck, but it was some. I think it was Buck. But just different artists, they would do a whole record of a song. Yeah, I think, did Waylon do, like, I think Waylon did one of those things. Hard. I mean, Willie just did it this year, right? Ray Price songs. That's right. And, because um, I used to, I had a, um, I think that, like, the, there was an Everly Brothers album I liked. It was just a, I guess, the, I don't know what that would have been. 
mm-hmm. maybe probably Roy Acuff songs or something. I don't know. But yeah, I used to like them just doing all one artist songs, but um, which was kind of a cool idea for a record. But so you started writing songs, and you didn't, then did you start like people started? Did you start getting cuts? First, I started to get attention as a songwriter. You know, people liked my songs. It took me a long time to get cuts. And then a management company heard some demos of mine and an EP that I had made and approached me about making a record. And, and I, of course, jumped in wholeheartedly. And I'm, I'm really glad it happened that way because I think had I been younger when that opportunity came around, I probably would have been more um, easily molded. You know, yeah, it's weird because you know I'm an old, old man, old Wheeler. You know, if it happened younger, I would have just, who knows what kind of fucking selling out I would have done. Exactly. I would have taken anything, you know. Yeah, if somebody would have said, "Hey, we need you to dye your hair blonde and and uh, get real skinny and have a belly button ring," I might have done that. I, I don't know if I could have gotten skinny, but I might have gotten a belly button ring. We could we could have got done. Yeah. Um, so I do think I was lucky, and I didn't really have anything to say. I was figuring out what I had to say when I was in my 20s. Yeah, that's my, because I don't know if I told you. So I was trying to, like, uh, I hear all the time people tell me, like, your songs are country. You should take the fucking shit out of it and write some country songs and submit mm-hmm. them to people. And I sit there and I try to write a song without, you know, the bad words in it. It's just like, what am I trying to say, you know? And those are the, the so to sorry. Me, to me, bless you. The, the the bad songs to me are just the songs that are just about nothing, you know. Right. The beer and the in the in the cooler throwing in the truck and all mm-hmm. that kind of shit, which is kind of taking over everything I think right now. But I, do you feel like there's a bit of a like a like a um, of a switch? People maybe going back to good songs. I don't know, but I think like every few years they say that, and then nothing fucking happens. Right. <laughs> Um, well, I, I mean, there are always glimpses to me. I mean, you mentioned Brothers Osborne before we started our interview. I think they're great. I yeah. I, I bought their record, and I, I wear it out, you know. Um, well, I met those guys. I thought they were really cool. And then I was like, oh, now i got to listen to their record. And then i got to lie to their faces when, I, when it's no good. And it turned out to be good. Mm-hmm. So it's always nice when that, when that happens. So I'm hearing more country, you know, like them and, you know, so obviously Stapleton, Sturgill, and... Mm-hmm. Like John Party and William Michael Morgan are playing, yeah. co- like just playing, like those guys are doing almost like traditional, just kind of country. But I always, it's almost like a, a little taste of it just to let you know that it could happen. Then it never fucking happens, in my opinion. It'd be so great if it did. It would, yeah. But it's still cool. You mean you're getting all these nominations and stuff? They're paying attention to you, which is great. Yeah, you know, and that always feels good. Um, but I, I'm with you. I like the uh, the more traditional leaning. Stuff. What I always lean on, or what I always put my hang my hopes on, is country music was very pop around the time that Garth Brooks and Clint Black and Alan Jackson and Vince Gill and Travis Tritt when those guys came out, and it changed. You know, some people like that change, some people don't. I personally did, um, and I and I always think that country music will have that resurgence. Yeah, I mean, back you know the Willie Whalen. Christopherson days it was all really like sappy kind of mm-hmm. orchestrated stuff and they came in and you know tore it all down so who knows we'll see we'll see you can't predict that you know predict that stuff but what was the first what was the first like big cut you got for me yeah um it was a Kenny Rogers cut 
No way. On a Cracker Barrel record. And it was a big isn't that the perfect. Isn't that the perfect per- first cut? Yes. The Kenny Rogers song on a Cracker Barrel record? Yes. And, I had, and I'd had other cuts, but it was the first one for me. I've, I've loved Kenny Rogers my whole life. You know one of my favorite records of all time is, I don't know if you probably haven't heard this one. I, think, I, thought, I don't think they released it on CD, but I can get you a copy. It's, um, it's called Eyes That See in the Dark. You heard that record? No. It's an album that Barry Gibb and the BG Brothers uh, did as a Barry Gibb solo record. Mm-hmm. And they changed their mind, decided to have um, uh, Kenny Rogers sing it. So it's basically a Bee Gees Kenny Rogers album. Wow. That's got it's one with Islands in the Stream on it. Okay. So you know how that has kind of like a disco kind yes. of feel? It's like basically a Kenny Rogers disco record, and it's one of my favorite. It's the most amazing record I've ever heard. It's basically Kenny Rogers fronting the Bee Gees, which it literally is. Because yes. they're playing. You can actually buy on iTunes the original Barry Gibb demos of, of that album. Okay. Which is kind of weird, but yeah. Yeah, Kenny Eyes Ro- that see in the dark. I'll check that out. Yeah, and he does like a lot of falsettos and stuff. It's okay. very, I mean, it's almost like psychedelic in some ways. It's it's crazy. Well, I mean, he he is just a talented human, and and um, he but he he made a record for Cracker Barrel, and and he cut a song that I had written. It wasn't songs about like their food and stuff. No, 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 no. It was you know it was kind of a greatest hits record, but I think he did two new songs, and mine was because one I always I always see that they do Cracker Barrel is like apparently the biggest label in the world at this point. Yeah, well, you know, it's a good place to have your product. Yeah. Um, you know, after people have. Well, I got a hard, I got a hard pass on them, but. Yeah. <laughs> That's they probably wouldn't put me in there either, um, but it, it was a song called "She'll Believe You," and it was the first time I'd heard my song recorded by a voice that I had known my whole life. Yeah, that crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, yeah, submitted some songs to people, but they never seemed to work out. Like I said, I don't, I can't. I think it's less to do with me taking the bad words out more to do with just like me trying to get into the head of somebody else yes because I'm always all I care about is myself at the end of the day mm-hmm. and care about what I think about so it's like but do you think that when you're writing like you know um, I'm, are you writing for a specific person or you're just writing I'm just writing and yeah. now if I'm sitting down with, with another artist then I and, and we're writing for their record then yes I, I try to I try to get in not so much get in their head but let their head be the biggest head in the room not egotistically but just you know what is it that what is it that you want to say on this record um, and there's probably times when you're there and they, the answer is they don't know right but when I'm writing when I'm just when it, when I'm writing for myself I'm just writing it's like what you were saying about taking all the cuss words out when I'm writing for myself it's songs that are about drugs or cheating or things that you know are going on that that maybe somebody else is a little afraid to talk about and that's things artistically I want to talk about yeah that's why that's why I'm a fan because oh, thank you. there's not that many people because everyone else I mean that's that's really not to bring it back to me but that's what I'm doing ain't that it's all I'm doing is just writing the songs and then not cleaning them up right because I'm, I'm not gonna get on the radio anyway so why clean it up and you're kind of doing, you know, doing the same thing. Although those explicit words, was, you did the smart way, which you could actually, you know, not get yelled at. Um, <laughs> but if they look deeper, that stuff is still there. Um, so d- you don't have to give me like p- personals, but like you get a cut. Does was that like, oh, I got a check now? I can live off music. No. Um, for me, I mean, I was working part time jobs while having publishing deals. Really, until right before 
I had hits. Um, and, you know, it's, I think no matter what, what stage of the game you're at, you know, your expenses raise as your paycheck does usually. And more so, money, more problems. More money, more problems, yeah. And uh, so that's always a struggle for me is like, okay, I want to figure out how to do this music thing my whole life. Like, how do I support myself? With yeah, that was, that's the big thing for me is just not having to have another job. That's all mm-hmm. I cared about, which is not the worst goal, I don't think. No. William Walker Jr. interruption here. Um, I wandered off and talked about myself for like 20 minutes, and it got boring, so I cut it out. Anyway, let's pick up the conversation. I, I asked Brandy what her worst gig was ever. This is her answer. Sorry about that. Let's go back to the interview. When you're put in a situation, I always like to be put in a situation that it's possible to win, but there are some situations you're put in as a performer that no one can win. Yeah. You know? Um, just because, you know, it's hard to go out in an arena with just an acoustic guitar and have people pay attention. Have you have you done that opening for other people? I have. Um, like who? Well, I did a whole tour, um, actually with Jennifer Nettles, just myself and a guitar. It worked, though, because it was theaters. Yeah. Um, and then um, I'm trying to think of if I... Oh, I played one time just a one-off um, in front of Rascal Flats, just me and another guitar player. And that was... That was one of the nine levels of hell. Yeah, they're, they're, everyone's getting hot dogs. And, yes. But they were all crammed in, and I think they were not happy that I was playing. You know, I think they, they just wanted Rascal Flats out there. Yeah, I just, I love playing with the bands, you know, but it's, people don't understand how fucking expensive it is. It's like, you yeah. can go do those shows and actually, if not pay your rent, at least pay, pay the expenses, or you can get a band and lose money. And mm-hmm. you are, I mean... Not this one, but before it's like you're on an independent label. It's just your it's your money. It's crazy. Oh yeah, and even on a major label, you know, there's at the end of the day, it's your money. What's the leads me to my next question? See, I sound like a professional interviewer. Yeah, you're good. Like, uh, thank you. Um, what was the what was the move like from a your own label to was it Warner Brothers? Yes. Well, I was self releasing my record in, in a small label in Texas, Slate Creek Records became involved. So. I never did it completely on my own, but we were very mom and pop, you know. Um, it, it was It's different. Um, one of the great things is there is a bigger budget, you know. But sometimes, uh, and, and I'm so lucky because Warner, I was signed to Warner Burbank, and my deal, I work with Warner Nashville as well. But um, between those two companies, there's a lot of freedom creatively there. And the guy who signed me is just kind of a badass guy's name's Dan McCarroll and he believes in artists making the records that, that they want to make. And Isn't that crazy that that's a novel idea these days? It is true. Yeah, He's like, right. you, you should meet this like crazy record guy. He, he just wants to make good records. Like that's, mm-hmm. like a, that's like a crazy story. So for me, creatively, it was very easy. I think where it can get frustrating for artists is a lot of times your hands get tied because you, you want to put your record out in April. Well, they don't have a spot to put it out until June. You know, oh, that's. I mean, it sounds like you haven't gotten any pressure, like no. do this or do that. My or. problems are champagne problems. You know, yeah. I haven't ever had anybody ask me to cut a certain song. The only thing that Dan that signed me ever asked me to do was to consider working with Jay Joyce, and I didn't. It was a dream. So, you know, I haven't had any of those kinds of problems. Um. Well, yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing too, is because I always visit my friends who are in big labels, and I see the fucking tour bus, and I get all jealous. Mm-hmm. But then I forget that you're uh, really paying for it at the end of the day, and 
And I probably make more for my records than they do because they're spending whatever, 50 grand a week on it or more on the tour bus. Right. It's the same thing. It's, it's like how much of your own money you know you're willing to put into it. But um, what do you think? What's the next step here? Do you, are you, are you, are you always, you know, right? Because I ran into you at Seagale a while ago. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're, you always try to make sure you keep a foot in the songwriting stuff. Totally. I mean, for me, there's no artistry for me without writing songs. And, and last year I, I was promoting my record so, so hard that I didn't get a lot of time to write. And, and I don't know if you feel this way, but if I don't have a chance, if I'm not getting to have that creative output, I can get a little depressed. Yeah. Well, as you can tell, my stuff is like, it's got to come out or it's going to stay inside. Then I, then I'm in a really bad place. Yeah. So, um, which is probably the same with, uh, you know, with anyone. But it's like if you can't get that stuff out. But then, I don't know. It's like, um, I guess that's why I like being on my own label. It's just if I want to go record a record mm-hmm. next week and then put it out the next week. You can do it. I can do it. Yeah. I'm not going to because I don't have the songs. But So, yeah, where I'm at right now, um, releasing a new song off of my current record, Big Day in a Small Town, called Three Kids, No Husband and... I'm excited about that, and uh, I'm in the be and I'm out on the road with Charlie Warsham, um, starting. Who I saw last sixth. night. Yeah, he's great. We're out April, May, and June, and then later in the year I'm doing some shows with Miranda Lambert, and um, and then other shows here and there. Um, my summer's filling up, but but a lot of my time right now I'm spending writing songs and and I'm in the very very beginning stages of thinking about a new project, so. Just, so you're, you're thinking about the new record. Yeah. Will you do it with uh, Jay Joyce again, you think? I don't know. I mean, I you know, I, I believe in... Um, I'd love to work with Jay again if he would if he would want to work with me. Um, I think different records require different producers, so, you know? So it'll just depend on the songs for me. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm probably a little odd that way. Because um, a lot of artists get with a producer and they, they're with that producer their whole career. You know the um, I don't ever want to make the same record twice and um, works for some. I mean, the Beatles and uh, George Martin seem to work out, but totally. I think that's I think those kind of things work better when it's like something like that. Like George Martin was just getting into rock and roll, so they're learning it together and moving mm-hmm. up together is instead of like um, you know some established producer and then just keeping with him forever. But the thing I love about Jay is that. He also isn't going to make the same record again. You know, he he's very creative and uh, is always looking for new sounds and. New yeah, I've never met him. So people people don't know he did, he done, did Brothers Osborne, yes. did Eric Church, and all that yeah. stuff. Um, seems like he's made a, a lot of the non. I'll put, I put it in the non shit category, non-shit. which is which is a pretty um, you know small category of a. National music. What do you think of? I don't want to get you in trouble, but what do you think about like you know? I'm here in Vegas for this ACM kind of shit show weekend about this this music. I mean, obviously, it's the biggest argument everyone has. It's like, is this country all this kind of pop stuff? Mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, this music always changes, but to me, it's 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 more of just almost like a categorizing thing. It's just like. How is that country music? I don't understand. I feel like, and I hate to say this because I've always, I've always loved music. I'm a traditionalist in this way, having a genre. But part of me feels like maybe genres are are dead. 
And it's interesting, yeah. That country music at some point became... Somebody told me one time, I can't say that, I can't take credit for this, but that country music became whatever white people would listen to. You know, it's funny you say that because that's my favorite. I, I was on another podcast. I heard Steve Earle say um, what country music has become now is uh, hip-hop for white people that are scared of black people. Oh. I was like, that's kind of interesting, which is just like they're getting these new beats. Uh-huh. And... Um, kind of the, you know, the stuff that kind of the white people want to listen to, but they don't think they should. Uh-huh. But if you put a white person there singing about trucks and stuff instead of, you know, yeah. hip-hop language, whatever that means. Well, it's kind of like Elvis, you know? I mean, Elvis was a, a white guy who sounded like he was black when when he first came out. Yeah, wasn't that the thing? Because there's a couple great Elvis bios that I love. There was one of them. I remember reading, too, that they would actually because it's back in the old days when it was segregation they, when they when they would announce when the radio guy would say his album they would say what high school he went to oh so that's way how you knew he was white really so they go he, here he is from what I forget the name of the high school whatever high school Elvis Presley so they'd play it and that was your that was the key to let you know this is a white guy and you're allowed to listen wow instead of just because they were basically wanted to just say this is a white guy yeah but, but they said it the school which was an all white school so they were allowed to get away with it well, I, I mean, I'm going to always, my heart will always beat to the tradition, to the beat of traditional country music, but, you know, things evolve and, um, and so, you know, it's, it, country music is not what it was when I was listening to it as a kid, but it also then wasn't what my mom was, what it but was also, I mean, what, one point kid. I'll say is like, you know, the stuff you're writing about, you probably couldn't have written about. Exactly. You know, the content-wise, you couldn't have done before. So it has evolved. You know, if there's more freedom in that way. There's also freedom to add fucking synthesizers and yeah. electronic drums. But I think you know, I I personally believe there's room for all kinds of music. Um, and, but I do think you know that that there's also a responsibility to keep traditional country music alive. And you mentioned some people that are doing that. Yeah, as, uh, you know, I think I always like Jack White is a big guy, a guy who's always like, you know, it's important. I mean, maybe too much, but he's like, it's important to know, like if you were a, uh, an art, you know, a painter, you need to know all the paint. You know, I think I it's important to know all that, whether you use it or not, it's important to know all the, you know, the Hank Seniors and, mm-hmm. the, you know, Lubin Brothers and all that stuff. Know that, those, that music, if you're going to. And if you're going to have a career in acting, you study acting and you do yes. all that stuff. You need to have a, you know, the experience of doing that stuff. So, I mean, my my knowledge of, and not that I'm the bar by any means, but my knowledge of country music is a lot older than I am. And and I always say, you know, people need to know that it didn't start with Garth Brooks. Yeah. Or Shania, or whatever your intro was, you got to go back and discover that, those the who who built the foundation that we all stand on. Well, I just remember listening to the Lubin Brothers. I was like, this is the best thing I've ever heard. Those harmonies, and mm-hmm. I'm just freaking out. Like, uh, especially because I loved it too, because the album covers were so crazy looking. Mm-hmm. It was like um, someone's walking in the room. Um, wrap it up, they said. Uh. Um, yeah, but it's. Um, I mean, it's also fun to me. It's fun researching all that stuff too. Oh yeah, it's inspiring. Yeah, a lot. When I'm feeling like I have nothing to say, I drive around and listen to Dolly Parton because uh, yeah. those songs are so, so good. Someone told me that "I Will Always Love You" is the most played song of all time on the radio. Really? It makes sense because yeah. her version probably got a ton of play, and obviously the Whitney Houston version. Yes, and then when her and Vince Gill redid it. 
for that. There's probably a million. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, and the people forget. That's what people forget about Dolly is that she's a, song, a hell of a songwriter. People kind of forget it. Um, but anyway, we're gonna wrap it up. I'll let you go. But again, thanks for talking. My this is the first live interview I've done. Everyone else has been on oh, the phone. I'm glad to be so, it. So congrats on that. Congrats on all your success. But more importantly, congrats on being the first oh, live you. interview on the Wheeler Walker Jr. podcast. And that's it. See you fuckers later. It's the Wheeler Walker Jr. podcast. It's Wheeler Walker Jr. podcast. Everybody else sucks, man. I am the best. It's the Wheeler Walker Jr. podcast. When she gets stuck, she drives it around and listens to Dolly Parton for inspiration. That's why I like Brandy Clark. It's good sitting down and talking to her. And uh, that's it for the Weird Walker Jr. podcast. Do I have something to promote? I don't think so. I got con- a tour coming up. Go go see me on tour. And, um... By the way, you noticed she sneezed. I said, bless you. People say I'm an asshole, but Brandy sneezed. I said, bless you. It's fucking really cool of me, I thought. All right, see you fuckers later.